Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as a part of serving our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HCS2014. Thank you for making us a part of your day again this morning. We've uh, joined in studio for our second episode of Health Connect South Radio. I was very excited last week to launch the show, getting to talk to some uh, key players in the oncology space. I'm joined in the studio by our producer, Krista Baruti. Hey, hey. We and are getting past those technical difficulties, That's right. Aren't that's we? right. We'll, we'll figure out what we're doing here very soon. <laughs> um, and um, last but not least, I'm also co-hosted by Diana Keogh, the CEO and founder of Sherwick Media. Great to be back. I was very pleased to have actually met Diana through the Health Connect South platform back in September and uh, just uh, an, an example of what they're trying to achieve, bringing people together, making them aware of a variety of assets in the healthcare space. And that's how we were able to connect. And we're hopeful that uh, through this radio show, we'll be able to kind of facilitate that even further. I'm very pleased to have gotten to be able to do that here as a host of the show. And, uh, you know, that brings me to our guest today from Azalea Health. I'm joined by the CEO of Azalea Health, Baha Zidane. Good morning. Thank you. And he brought along with him uh, Justin Pierce, their VP of sales. So I'm looking forward to getting in and uh, learning a little bit more about Azalea Health. They're a company that uh, provides cloud-based healthcare solutions and services. And I think there's some great opportunities in healthcare in that space. Uh, The company provides electronic health records and uh, EMR practice management, revenue cycle management, billing services that obviously are very vital to uh, the efficient running of a physician practice and organization. So um, we'll get right down to it. So Baja, uh, tell me about your background a little bit leading into uh, Azalea, and then we'll kind of get into the history of Azalea itself. Well, thank you again. Um, I uh, started my health IT career at a medical laboratory in South Georgia, in Valdosta, Georgia, as a matter of fact. So um, uh, we started our career in rural, rural Georgia. Uh, and uh, in 2001, as an intern, I worked at this medical laboratory, and there was a problem to needed to be solved. Back at that time, is something uh, unheard of called EMR. <laughs> and... Uh, they hired me to... And what does that stand for? Just for those that me- don't know. Absolutely. Electronic medical record. Uh, and that was not very common uh, uh, word. Or uh, Electronic medical record was, you know, it's not as common to be known back then, uh, even though it sounded like it's a century o- uh, old industry, but it's really fairly new. The publicity of electronic medical records came in 2006. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so as an intern, I uh, worked with this medical laboratory to connect uh, the lab with EMRs, uh, electronic medical records. And, um, and during my seven-year career, I was able to see the industry from the physician's perspective and from connectivity perspective. And uh, we saw that there is uh, a lot of electronic medical records in the market. However, uh, they lack the usability. They lack the the what I would call the Google look and feel, and uh, 
At that time, I had two co-workers, uh, one named um, Douglas Swords and uh, Daniel Henry, and we got together, uh, we looked at the space, and we saw how crowded it is with systems that are more legacy than modern, and we decided to launch Azalea Health and focus on developing a true multi-tenant uh, cloud-based solution that can be used on Mac, PC, uh, and any cross-platform compatible and it's been success since we started. So that's how. When you say legacy versus modern, what does that mean for the yeah. user there, or the not yet a user kind of person, so they know what we're talking about? Sure. So uh, what we call in our mind legacy systems are systems that you need to be in a specific device to log into it or use it. And what in my mind, what we would call modern systems are systems that's true cloud enabled, where you can use them using your phone using a uh, tablet, uh, a PC, any web-enabled device, and be able to uh, do what you needed to do as a user from that application. And that's the difference. Uh, legacy systems, traditionally, either uh, client-server-based, where they need additional infrastructure and additional hardware. And I'll think of modern systems as just something like email, where you can log in and be able to do your work. And so in that kind of situation that you're tra talking about as it relates to a cloud, for example, it's been something that I've kind of been trying to learn about because I didn't fully understand the cloud. But basically, basically what, I, what I'm gathering as it relates to cloud computing, the information that we're working with and even potentially the application itself that we're trying to work with lives in a kind of a central location doesn't have to be on a machine or machines in my office that That's I have correct. to be on physically to actually be able to then access whatever that data is. And now I can use a tablet or a smartphone or a laptop from someplace else, still have access to all of that. And then on top of that, the cloud actually has additional computing capabilities, as I understand it, that gives you the power to do some and infinitely scalable as well, right? And, and take uh, a lot of the hardware requirements off the you know the end user, and that's that's the ultimate point: increased security, decreased risk, and ease of access. Really, is the whole point of moving into the cloud. And as a practice, or even as a hospital, there's benefits to doing that. Substantial. Mm -hmm. And what are those benefits? Well, those those reasons I just mentioned. So, you know, managing a server or a hardware infrastructure, having a sophisticated IT support group, I mean, it's costly, especially for a single physician practice. I mean, the more uh, complex the facility gets, the, the higher the requirements and cost. There's so many risks associated with having some infrastructure locally. Um, servers can definitely break down. There's always natural disasters, of course, fires, floods, things of that nature, and even theft. So, you know, if you're going to have hardware, let us take that for you. Uh, let us take on the, the cost of maintaining it and everything else, and then your uh, end user requirements are just logging into a portal using the system, uh, you know, at, at whatever location you would and, like. And then our industry, the security is a huge aspect of mm -hmm. what we do. And if you look at the uh, traditional hospital environment or physician group or uh, just a one uh, practitioner physician office, uh, the level of security to put around their infrastructure, around their servers, it's nowhere to be compared to where we host our infrastructure. Uh, so it makes sense that we take care of the security and have partners that take care of that security rather than the physician office. 
talking with Baha Zidane and Justin Pierce of Azalea Health, and they're a, a company that provides expertise in the electronic health record and electronic medical record, as well as physician management space. And I think that that's a paradigm that uh, it sounds like we're maybe kind of turning the corner on a little bit, but I that's believe that there's a lot of folks at the physician practice level for sure. And even in maybe taller organizations that are bigger than a you know single or multi-physician group uh, that that kind of have some concerns as it relates to my data being out there in the cloud. It sounds so nebulous. It sounds so out of my control. But based on what I'm hearing uh, from you and other experts that I've spoken to as, as I've begun to learn about the cloud, that there's actually greater security by employing that kind Absolutely. of technology. And then there's greater protection from failures of, of a device because there's some measure of redundancy in the cloud as it relates to the hardware side of things. Absolutely. Something goes down, we quickly have another piece that can keep it going. And to just let you know, as far as the um, industry, if we look at the financial industry, um, they've been utilizing the cloud since the 90s. Mm -hmm. And actually, uh, we feel our financial data and health data both need to be protected and both equally uh, yeah. uh, need uh, critical to any person not to be shared with the world. Um, the financial industry has been embracing the cloud a lot more than the clinical or the, fi uh, the healthcare industry. And finally, now there's a lot more uh, adoption of cloud-based solutions. And I've talked a little bit about the fact that you work in the space with EMR and uh, physician practice management, but expand on that for me. What, what do you do for the clients you serve in the healthcare space? Physician offices, healthcare organizations, what, what solutions do you provide? What do you, what do you solve? Well, there's a variety of needs uh, and practices, uh, usually going to cutting costs in a lot of different ways. So uh, the, the software that we provide and the services we provide are usually along those lines of making a practice more efficient. Uh, so from the clinical aspect, you have a cloud solution. Uh, there's tremendous ease of use with our system. It's very, very straightforward to learn and operate, uh, which is historically some of the bigger frustration that you know, physicians feel with clinical systems. So they can step into our systems a very short period of time, customize it to the needs that they have uh, for their you know, physician-patient uh, interactions, and step into it very, very quickly. From a billing aspect, it's, we've, we've designed that system uh, from the ground up, primarily to serve our own billing company. We provide outsourced billing services. Uh, we have uh, a group of folks that uh, are you know, certified uh, billers and coders, and we will take over you know, the billing within the practice and provide a more efficient service to make the practice you know, uh, increase their reimbursements, decrease their denials, and our, our software was designed from the ground up to serve that function. So we, also we, we provide too. solutions for the patient. Uh, we engage mm -hmm. the patient with their primary care or uh, their physician through our patient portal where they can go online and be able to learn more and engage more with their provider and with their health record. Mm -hmm. So we're on radio, and we're also dealing with a clientele that isn't necessarily tech savvy. And mm -hmm. we're talking in a lot of very complicated terms like cloud and yeah, I mean, they know what an EMR is, but what does it look like for a physician? I mean, walk me sure. through. If I'm a physician, walk me through. I have no technological experience. Walk me through it. 
Sure. So a lot of the complaints that you hear of some of these legacy systems and the older systems is there's just too much. And you lo- you go into the system and there's too many places to go. There's too many it clicks. It takes me too to long. Get. I can't. I uh, go yeah. slower now that I'm using this exactly. instead of faster like I'm supposed to. Exactly. And so the system, again, designed with uh, the end user in mind, consulting our own customers and our own physician users, is uh, built around the idea of being efficient and uh, giving the end user a very uh, effective solution. So you don't want to think about your EMR, you want to think about your patient and what the diagnosis and you know, what the plan should be with their treatment. So uh, we have a, a screen that you go into, immediately shows the workflow uh, in the practice. So where are your patients? Where do you need to be? Who's going where? And you just have an immediate snapshot uh, that is very similar actually uh, to how a normal practice would operate. It even has like flags so you have uh, color-coded flags for your exam room, so you can even emulate that. So it's you step into it from the very beginning, and it looks familiar. And you go through for, for charting, which is the number one concern for a physician, how yep. do I chart? We have a, a very straightforward templating system. Everything can be done in a SOAP format, which is a, a very straightforward and very well-known format for charting. And it's all on one screen. There's no multiple clicking. You don't have to go to multiple locations. Everything is put through in a single interface uh, where you can go through an encounter and document it using a template that's predefined by you, designed by you, uh, so you know, hey, this person's coming in with a sore throat. I select my sore throat template. It's pre-configured. If there's any small changes, say the review systems has one thing that's not normal, you can make that change and, and finish it out. I've seen a physician see a patient in less than 10 seconds using our system. Just re- document the encounter, finish and it. And for the no. non-clinicians, uh, I, uh, we to let them know that uh, our software handles uh, the patient office from the point when the patient dials the physician office to schedule an appointment mm-hmm. all the way to the patient when they get an invoice and the physician document and charts that encounter with the patient and get paid by the insurance company. So you guys are providing the platform, but not necessarily the hardware. So if I'm actually, you know, I need to be able to chart it on something. So we're as a physician, where am I getting that hardware form from? And if I already have an EMR system, how do I work with you in that way? At Health Connect South, do we have any hardware uh, partners? Well, have to go in and find out. Well, and that's, you well, know, we'll get I to that. Well, I will advocate yeah. uh, Best Buy and Walmart to be partners <laughs> with Health Connect South uh, on radio, so uh, they can go anywhere to get So those. any uh, any any hardware computer or tablet i would assume a tablet would probably be one of the best ways absolutely because uh, you know, I, I used to um, be a part of a team that was developing a user interface that would allow a hospital in um, that is in need of additional nursing staffing temporary nurse staffing and we were trying to replace the color markers and a big piece of paper um, and give them some automation that would allow them to log into a browser and say, I need an ICU nurse on Friday with these credentials. And on the other end, uh, the staffing company would be able to fulfill that with some measure of automation. the, the, the challenge that we found is that it's not as easy as it would seem to, just because it's electronic doesn't mean it's going to make me run faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that in my own personal experience, I, I was reading some before we came on the air today to try to get an idea of how many doctors are out there using electronic records right now. What are their perceptions of that? And I know overall there's at least half or more that kind of have a negative perception, and I'm sure you run into that a little Absolutely. bit out as you try to you know, expand the, the number of folks that are taking part in electronic health records. But 
one of the things that I've experienced uh, as a patient is when they're working on a computer, for example, in the office, person's got their back to me, they're interviewing me, inter- entering data into a computer with their back to me. Um, it would seem that if I'm tablet enabled, I'm able to use the application while I'm sitting here, it'd be very much like sitting here with a notepad and I'm writing, Absolutely. I'm looking at you, I'm interviewing you, feeling engaged. So it's nice to know that the application or the what, what we're talking about here, our software and, and application solutions are giving us the ability to do that, to actually stay Correct. engaged with the patient face-to-face. CW, you hit a great point, which is the adoption level. Um, yes, there is about 80 percent of physicians uh, have some format of electronic health record however in uh, if you look at that statistic you will find that only anywhere between 10 to 20 percent of those physicians are satisfied with Mm -hmm. the usability level of those electronic health records Uh, so there is a plain a side uh, that the physicians are slower to adopt, and mm-hmm. it's it's for them is a little bit um, of agony sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, but also, from the side of the technologists that they provide those solution, we still have a side to be blamed um, because a lot of the software in the industry is still complicated. It's it's still the usability level is not yet there. And then when you have uh, uh, the government mandating a certification level for meaningful use to make the the, the physicians utilize them, they need, they put a level of uh, certification, and that certification made those software uh, added another layer of complexity in those in, in the adoption. So um, we feel fortunate that uh, the industry still have a long way in the usability aspect of electronic health records. Yes, yeah, so there's an opportunity there, and it sounds Absolutely. like I haven't seen the application myself to to have a feel for the interface, but it sounds like based we'll on what you're... We'll talk off air so we can maybe... Um, Great. <laughs> it sounds like you uh, have addressed that a little bit so that if I'm a physician and I'm trying to input data and engage my patient without making them feel like I'm not really involved or engaged with them truly. I'm I'm really working with my computer here, just trying to get the information on my computer and not find out what your problem is. It sounds like the interface may be a little bit more simple, a little bit point and click, scroll to the the value I need so that I'm not distracted from the true focus here, and that's my my patient. It is a patient, too. I mean, that's something that is uh, is a big reason. I've changed physicians because of that personally and in that thing it's a it's a driving force in that uh, bedside manner kind of experience that you're right. looking for and every everything within that interaction uh, these days has become more complex and uh, if your physician is going to sit there in front of a computer instead of doing an exam and looking you in the face you just feel disconnected mm-hmm. I mean they may be a good physician uh, but there's been so many studies that prove that you know a patient doesn't rate a physician on their level of care most of the time it's on how much they like them. Mm-hmm. You will say that you've perceived better treatment because your physician looks to care about your, your problems more than you think they're actually a good physician. Yeah. It's that, and so it's a, big, it's a big disconnect, and I think that that's the, the thing we're trying to solve. Well, and there's a, you know, I interview a lot of doctors and, and are you know, with the nurses and the staff, and there's a big joke among women, um, and Christy, you know this, like when you go into a restroom and there's no hook for your purse, you know there's a joke that we say, it was designed by a man. 
I have a hook in my purse just for that situation. Well, and, and most, but most <laughs> women... I'm not brilliant. kidding. Yeah, but most women do not. So right. there's, there's that issue. In fact, I, I just had my son at the doctor last week, and out of, the, out of the nurses, she was working with her EMR, and again, her back was turned, and she said, this is like it's designed by a man. <laughs> Because it's just not does not it's not intuitive enough and it's so clunky. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and that <laughs> yeah. that's just like men. the value of <laughs> just uh, kidding, guys. In in development, um, when you develop something for a user base, uh, for example, I uh, we we have um, I commonly say at Azalea Health, uh, none of us work at a physician office. We work at Azalea Health. We're a software company, so it's very important uh, for us from the beginning uh, to create systems where feedback in real time influences this, the development and the design of our application. And uh, this real time process of feedback enabled us to have, not only our customers are just regular customers, they are a fan base of Azalea Health because they feel it's not just one physician, it's, it's not designed from one physician's perspective. We don't have a medical director, actually. We have all of our customers are our direct. They direct us in how we should design that application. And we develop systems in, in, in how we can get this feedback in real time and how we can make those changes in a very quick manner. We touched on meaningful use. That was a, a term that we put out there. And obviously, it's being heard a whole lot more. Mm-hmm. But share with the listeners out there in case they're not fully versed in what meaningful use is and how that impacts their day-to-day practice. Well, the ARRA, when uh, the stimulus money by President Obama was uh, issued, um, there was money to uh, physicians and hospitals for them to utilize electronic health records. And that money basically it was uh, forty four thousand uh, dollar for physician office and sixty six thousand for a physician who utilizes Medicaid, and that money was issued to the physicians and the premises that they use electronic health record that is certified and that certification was called meaningful use, and that certification basically allowed to allow the physician to the government to know if we give in the, pay, the physician $44,000 that they are use, utilizing electronic health record in a useful manner. Mm-hmm. Now, that's debatable, but, you know, we, we can uh, I see. assume that that's correct. And uh, now they have two sta- three stages for meaningful use. We're in stage two. Stage one was a simple uh, data capture. Stage two is more... Um, rigid and has a lot more uh, information capturing and stage three is all about sharing that data stage gotcha. three is going to be coming in in the near future and share and make sense out of it and have triggers that institutions and and uh, uh, entities can take action on that shared data so what kind of data are we talking about it, it could be as simple as diagnosis, but also we can use a, an example of, for example, if there is um, a, an Ebola outbreak, uh, God forbid, anywhere, uh, with sharing that data, uh, the right entities should know about that immediately. And that's the level that we want to get to. Um, so take flu, for example. You sure. know, Would that be one of the things? Absolutely. And you could identify. Absolutely. We have examples of, for example, when uh, if, if you went to a restaurant and ate uh, you know, a food that was uh, you know, not good and you had uh, sickness and you went to the doctor, 
the right entities should know about that immediately. The health department should know about that, not after many cases of, of, uh, right. of uh, mm-hmm. food poisoning. It's after one case, and it should be alerted. You should go to the, to the right restaurant and shut it down. And so, Baha, explain to the listener how that data or how that information is now shared. A lot of faxing. <laughs> a lot of so, faxing So it's on. relying on some manual efforts that I have to report this and that. Correct. Right. Correct. There are certain interfaces that can be built. There are some standards in Meaningful Use Stage 2 that helps with interoperability and you know, sharing of information. Uh, CCDA is one of the standards that was put into place that gives you an overview. But uh, I think you know, we were talking a little bit previously about you know, physician adoption. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think connects back to their level of satisfaction is just you know, like any consumer of a product, you want it to just work, right? Yeah. Uh, and one of the areas that it doesn't just work right now, at least in healthcare with EMR, and, uh, the whole solution is that you know, interoperability and connectivity doesn't really exist very well yeah. uh, unless you're all in one system. But then there's you know, monopolistic problems with that, right? So. Yes. What we're trying to accomplish, and I think what the government's trying to accomplish uh, with you know, population health and population health management is to create that inter- interoperability and connectivity. And when you have a system that you can share information across a, a variety of whoever the vendor is, wherever you're located, you know, I could go on a vacation, go skiing in the Rockies, and I fall and I break my leg. They have immediate access to my medical records from my primary physician here in Atlanta. That's what they would want to have accomplished, and I think that's what the government's striving for. And then as a physician, it helps my ability to treat the patient, and that's where I think you'll see the the, the major philosophical shift with providers, where um, the they'll they'll see the overall uh, overall benefits of their of their clinical and solutions. And to draw some parallels between the financial industry and the healthcare industry, I um, you know when Azalea started, um, I used to think about the financial industry where you can send a $1 million wire to France and it will get there within 24 hours. However, you can't get your labs between two major hospitals. And sometimes it, need, it needs days and day waiting. And, and actually, some of them, they'll tell you, well, no, we don't, you know, you yeah, just got to redo yeah. all your labs all over again. Yeah, if you can get them at all. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that I'm starting to hear themes that are coming up and, and, and becoming prominent, so we'll want to dive into them more, I think, through our medium here, and that is interoperability and you know, population health management. I know we're going to be doing a, a discussion on that coming up pretty soon. Uh, kind of tie that together, because I, I think that's kind of the thrust of an organization that offers the, the, the solutions that you, that you do. Here on Health Connect South Radio, we've been talking with uh, Baja Zidane and Justin Pierce of Azalea Health, Then they offer solutions that help modernize a practice practice, taking advantage of the cloud-type technologies that we have now to kind of go in that direction so that my information can be made available to another entity out there. So kind of let's get into that while we while sure. we have you here. Why do I, you know, I've already got an old system, it's legacy, and I've had this system We're gonna for a long time. You. And, um, <laughs> you know, why should I change? Because that's got to be cost. Sure. Um, and, you know, Susie's been handling my uh, billing forever, so why do I need you to do it for me? So answer those questions so that it makes sense for somebody as to why they would want to interface with a company that's providing some of these modern solutions and technologies sure. that you do. Mm-hmm. So uh, the healthcare infor- uh, uh, industry has a lot of data. If in, you, you work in a physician office, there's a lot of information and 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 data just in uh, in any given day on on any given patient and our job as a health IT company is to make 
sense out of that data and make it useful information to the physician where they can set alerts, uh, be able to look at it in when look at what's critical and not uh, bother the physician and the care provider with a lot of noise. So what we're trying to do is filter that data into useful information. And with our cloud solution, we're enabling the the right people to get the right information from all of this wide and uh, range of data. So we talked a little bit about the flu, but you know, talk to me a little bit about how this works, like specific, you know, sure. such so, as drug recalls. Sure. Mm-hmm. So if if I'm in a, in a physician uh, that is using paper and I had a recall on a drug, I would have to have my staff go through all the paper charts to find out which patients are utilizing that medication and then call them to ask them to not stop using it. Well, it, if, if they utilize an electronic health record or specifically Azalea Health EMR, it, that will be two clicks of a button. They will specify which drug and hit sort and, or uh, filter, and it will filter all the patients uh, who utilize that specific drug and with their phone numbers on the screen where they can you can message them and let them know so it, we turned a task that could be a month-long task into two-second task, and that's the, the power of information. And that's one of the things that I understand that differentiates cloud computing versus legacy computing Absolutely. is on the older types of applications and their associated hardware. When I was building a system, I would have to know in advance, these are the types of questions and reports that I'm going to want to pull out of it. And so now I have to structure how it's built so that the data is put in certain places to answer those questions. But when we come into cloud and the way the data is housed and stored, it it allows me to then think of a question down the road and ask the system, show me the number of people in this group that have this This, data set. And it'll, boom, it'll pull up now. uh, It's kind of like Google in a way. Absolutely. And the the nice thing about cloud that it's a living application that is constantly adding more reports to it. We're constantly adding more functionality features uh, to the system without allowing you to go do the, your backup, then un- install a new version of your application, and then update all the workstations and, and so forth. So you, you're working with a living uh, application that you're constantly benefiting from other ideas from other users. Because sometimes uh, we find reports in our system that you never thought about, but a client B thought about. So right. we, it, it, you can utilize that basically leverage the, the, the masses with, with, with your application. Give me an example of that. So, for example, we could uh, we work with a lot of uh, physicians, we, and some sometimes they will request a specific report that, for uh, for example, one of the reports that I you know a physician requests that I want to know how many uh, who is the physicians that refer to me and how many refers that they refer to me. Maybe I want to send them a Christmas card. Uh, so uh, we make this report we make it available for to all of our customers now you're looking through our reports and you may say oh that is a really handy report i could do that and i could do the same thing and look who refers back to me or who i refer out to and uh, maybe reach out to them to create a, a, a personal uh, engagement with them so th- th- those are the kind of examples so basically mm-hmm. if it's the referral out it's like hey buddy you owe me some money <laughs> 
I hope not. <laughs> That's right. I don't know the legality of that. Now, I know that obviously one of the big reasons why the Affordable Care Act came out, just based on its name, is trying to make health care more affordable, reduce the cost burden on the nation um, as it relates to health care. As we know, it's the sixth of our economy. Um, one of the things I know about you is that you believe that information technology can help us do that. And and one of the things that you mentioned a, a few minutes ago uh, kind of alludes to that. One, the interoperability piece so that uh, when we get to that place where everybody's interconnected on some level, at least with some basic me- um, measures of data, then we can begin to do things like avoid replication of recently conducted studies that would have probably not changed much since last week or two weeks ago whenever I had my blood drawn. Now I'm I'm not waiting for that data. Now we just, it would just be better off just to run a new test. We can actually begin to uh, reduce some of the measure of redundancy um, and, and, and obviously along with that some cost. And it would seem to me that as we build more, more organizations into this electronic medical record slash big grouping of data that we can begin to have some greater level of transparency as it relates to costs. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we can more readily evaluate and get away from the situation that occurs today that we, you know, I'm sure most of us have heard about where if I go to Hospital X on this side of the street, this procedure or this study is $1,500 and Hospital Y on the other side of the street down a block is $150 for the same procedure. That Some of that measure of data availability will begin to allow us to have greater transparency so that we can begin to reduce some of those disparities. Am I on the right track? You are on the right track. I want to mention a quick story. Uh, when I was working in a medical laboratory, and at uh, w- that time we interfaced labs with electronic health records, and some of the electronic health records had patient portal where it would allow the patients to go online and be able to access their lab results. And I was talking with a physician, and he went crazy on the notion that his patients will see the lab. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, that that's an idea in 2004 and 2006. It was yes. we, we kept patients in the dark. I'm the physician. They need me to tell them what this exactly. means. Exactly. They're not qualified to know what it means. But also, he is right at that point because the healthcare is transactional. He wants another visit from that patient where right, he can right. collect $135 so he can tell him your labs are just fine <laughs> you know right. uh, so it, it, it the transformation of the healthcare to an outcome driven uh, rather than a transactional based healthcare is uh, going to help in lowering the cost but mainly information technology going to also help in that transformation where we are allow the patient to get out of the dark age and be able to learn and engage with their labs where they can understand their cumulative lab results over time and how their day-to-day behavior is changing their lab values and changing their uh, clinical uh, outcomes. So, you know, we we see there's a a lot of um, innovations in that side. There was a segment, too. I don't know if you saw it just this Sunday on 60 Minutes talking about the Affordable Care Act. I don't know if you saw it. I did not. Uh, it was uh, it was a brief segment, but it was an interview, and it was focused upon um, the inability of the Affordable Care Act to actually reduce costs. And uh, the the interviewer and the actual result of the interview was pointed to the fact that the ACA doesn't go far enough. I don't know that's the case. I don't know if we've gone far enough down the path. 
uh, to show if it's going to reduce costs or not. But I think the ultimate um, point the government was trying to, to make with, with the way that it's con configured the solution that it's put into place is this, this transparency. You know what your costs are. It's the point of the exchanges. Uh, you know if when you go to a physician for a physical, how much that's going to cost on average. Instead of it being hidden behind, you know, a, a what a payer will allow. You know, I mean, many patients don't know how they got billed, what they billed, and why they need to pay $100 for this and $200 for that. And you change insurances, and those figures change. You don't understand that. And I think that's what the ACA is trying to accomplish, especially with the exchanges and the access to health care, is to allow patients to have a better understanding of when you go to the doctor, why is this cost being levied? Why am I paying this? What is the market rate for what I'm doing, right. too? So that's, I think that's the real well, point. Well, and let's keep going down that because we've talked a lot in this hour about how this is beneficial to, to physicians. But we sure. haven't really spent, aside from it may um, create a little bit more transparency, mm -hmm. it may allow me to see my records when I'm traveling, but what other benefits to patients? I mean, how does this basically help a patient? Because a lot of times... Um, the whole medical field, the patients are the last thing that we're thinking about. Well, the, the, you know, we've discussed the engagement piece and, and knowing uh, about your disease. A healthier patient, it makes you as a, a healthier person and a healthier patient if you understand your, your clinical situation. Uh, but going back to transparency and price transparency, that's going to, uh, over time, it's going to change the industry. Mm -hmm. uh, hospitals... Uh, run uh, a lot like a business, except sometimes they don't understand the return on investment per procedure and return on investment per unit uh, that they, they're providing. And that's why sometimes the, the um, hospital CEOs and clinicians and, and physician offices, they don't understand why this procedure costs that much more in this facility versus the other facility. And I believe uh, as as we seeing the need for reduction of costs, they're gonna look under the hood and, and dig deeper on the return on investment, a lot of procedures, which in return is gonna lower the cost of the healthcare and the patient gonna be more satisfied. And also we're seeing a lot more initiatives around price transparency where the patients can compare now right. MRIs at Yep. institution A and institution B and across the street from both of those institutions and it could <laughs> vary between I've seen procedures that are $3,000 all the way to $25,000 and just basically the across the street yeah literally so, and I do believe that the market transparency as it relates to some of those costs particularly you know you see it a lot I think I could be wrong. It's a, it's a, I don't have a whole lot to back it up other than, you know, hearing about the disparities in the super bill, which is, you know, the, yeah. the charges, uh, mm -hmm. where they establish the charge for the comb and all of that you get in your, in your room and all of that. And, and as we know, that can vary wildly. And, and a given procedure can be X here and very dramatically different over here. And I believe that market pressure from shopping consumers is, is now our, our our exposure financially as a patient now is obviously changing. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that that is on purpose. The, the government uh, believes that if I have to pay more, I'm going to be smarter with where I go and when, right. I, when I spend my money on. Um, but as it relates to the values to the patient, 
having greater access to my information, I believe, will help me um, make better choices to try to kind of modulate. If I know what what my weight is doing to my blood pressure, then mm-hmm. maybe I'm more inclined to try to focus on my weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting into, into that population health management piece. How do we drive that side? Because I know we, we talked about the fact that physicians' offices – Roughly 85% participation right now in electronic records. Mm-hmm. Um, that's obviously going to change. It's going If you want to get paid, you're going to have to have an electronic 100%. record. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the patient end of things, I've been impressed. Uh, we, uh, the practice I'm a part of, you know, the, earlier this year we did a, uh, an advertising campaign to try to get information out to the patients about the availability of our particular treatment modality. A number of people called, and I was surprised by the people who called who told me they, you know, give them our website. I don't have a computer. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, that's an important piece of this puzzle. Now, you don't have to have a computer. Most people, I think, nowadays have a smartphone, with few exceptions. Exactly. Uh, which will, they can at least get text messages, right? That's right. Well, that, and they also will have a browser that they can use through that interface that would allow them to get their access. But uh, Unless you're my mother-in-law. True. Some of them won't use that kind of that component, even though it's there. Same with my mother-in-law. But how do we drive that engagement with the patient um, to get them to use the information that's available today? And you know, well, luckily, you you hit on smartphones. Smartphones has been the main driver for patient engagement. Now, if if you're using uh, which most of us do, uh, smartphones, you're going to be able to go download walking apps and apps that for. uh, somebody's uh, smartphone. Uh, but all of those apps are creating awareness that I want to be able to engage more and more with my healthcare. So I want to say that the, the, the biggest driver is smartphones, uh, the smartphone industry. Another driver that we're seeing and is the, uh, the wearables. Um, wearables and enabling patients to track their movement. They track what they're doing. Uh, a lot of us, uh, you know, some of us wear, wear Fitbit and, and something similar. And that's enabling the patients to start thinking beyond those wearables. Oh, okay, what if I took that data and shared it with my physician? What if I took that data and uh, actually shared it with, with, uh, with the nurse or so forth? So those are major ado- uh, drivers for the, uh, for the adoption uh, side. I got a yeah, Fitbit right there. Yeah, Fitbit right everybody's here. showing off their <laughs> Fitbits. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, this is a free commercial for Fitbit. Yeah, right. I mean wearables in general. That's a good point. I wanted to kind of go back to something Diana mentioned. Uh, direct question: You know, how does this benefit the patient? Because mm-hmm. that's that's the ultimate goal, right? Between the government, the provider, it's it's overall population health. So where I see this really benefiting the patient is is in the ability of a system to provide wellness, right? Quote, unquote, that's, I mean, that's, that's an overall term that's used in a, in a lot of different capacities within healthcare, but that's wellness and being outcome driven and not transactionally driven is going to improve the overall population's health. That's, that's the initiative. And that's what we're trying to drive to. So, you know, as a, as a solution provider, like we are, what we want to try and do is create, you know, patient engagement, you know, s- systems using smartphones, using wearables, using things of that nature that allow a provider to be better focused upon outcome-driven measures and not just transactional. So and you know, with the, the transparency, I mean, all of it is interconnected, uh, but th- with the transparency measures that are being put in place by the ACA, with the, the shift to outcome-based medicine and not transactional medicine, the overall benefit of the patient is greater health. You know, you're, you'll have preventative measures put in place by your physicians that say, you know, uh, your A1C is getting close to pre-diabetic. Here's a treatment, you know, here is a meal plan. 
Uh, I'd like to monitor, you know, you know, using your cell phone and try to get them more involved with their health. And the areas of the country that struggle with this the most are the ones that are the slowest to adopt, you know, any kind of technology. Rural type areas, that, that, that sort of thing. Give you some example um, that recently just uh, uh, pushed by uh, CMS and Medicare. Um, so we're, we're transforming the healthcare industry from sick care to well care. And Medicare just recently started a program for chronic care management uh, where allowing the physicians to get paid $40 per patient to monitor that patient with a chronic condition without the patient coming to their office. So basically, we're paying the physician or Medicare paying the physician to just engage with the patient, to check on the patient, to make sure that with their chronic condition, they are doing the right things without them doing getting sick and sort com- of electronic communication or telephone interview exactly. kind of thing. It can be any type of communication just to make sure that the, they haven't specified, they don't specify what mean of communication, but hopefully, you know, if you want to reach masses, you want to do it electronically. Uh, but it's, it's a good step forward to transform from sick care to well care to, to engaging mm-hmm. the patient. Well, five years from now, you know, along those same lines, where do you see this industry going? I mean, what's kind of in your future in the next five years? Yeah, we're, uh, we're excited about the next five years. We, we see, uh, one, um, the, the physician will, once the transformation of the healthcare from uh, transactional to, to an outcome driven, we're gonna see uh, actually patients are treating themselves uh, without going to the physician, which, with a simple communication like using, we're going to see the adoption of telemedicine to be much, much greater than now. Uh, we're going to see the ability of physicians to open their mind where they can treat patient and uh, from using their own smartphones without really a visit and scheduled visit and waiting weeks to before you get in, in into the physician office. And hopefully there's no like drinking and, and texting or anything. So <laughs> or, driving. or driving. Or driving, yeah. Driving. <laughs> um, and uh, w- uh, we see uh, patient engagement at a higher level. Right now we, uh, we're in Atlanta. And uh, when you look at our um, industry, we, we talk, there's a lot of tools for patient engagement. There's a lot of companies are involved in patient engagement. But patient engagement itself is not mainstream. I, yeah. I believe the, the statistics and, you know, need to be, uh, I need to update, up, uh, research that further. But I believe last time I read it was about 2% of U.S. patients are engaged and electronically that's, with that, it. It's funny you say that because that was one of the places I wanted to go was just to find out from within Azalea, uh, what what's the strategy to get me to, you've obviously got some sort of application or interface that I can use as a patient to engage with my information and so forth and hopefully make some choices to modulate or, or that. Or do you? I mean, do Yeah, you? so uh, right now we have web-enabled tools, but we're also de- in, in uh, developing a mobile app uh, right now, our mobile app for physicians, but we're, we're working on mobile app for the patients. Doing so, it will alert them when a lab results get issued, and and also they can use the mobile app natively to communicate back. But it would seem it's not just a build it and they will come kind of concept. Uh, how, how do you get me to do it? 
Uh, well, luckily, the, the U.S. government is, is pushing a, a, for a huge campaign to enable the patients. Actually, they're using Hollywood with commercials to ask the patients to be more engaging with, with their physicians. So as an industry as a whole, as a country as a whole, actually, we're moving forward that. It sounds it's to me not like they fast. need your expertise at Sherwood Media where you're producing content that will help people mm-hmm. get CW, more engaged. Everybody needs my expertise. That's right. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, mean, there, I mean, there's very simple things. I mean, by telling a patient that their lab results are available through a portal, giving them an email notification that they have a new message in their portal will drive you know, someone to go see something like that. Yeah. That's very, very basic. But I think the, the bigger picture really is general access to care. Yeah. yeah, I mean, patient engagement is part of it, but if you have, uh, if you're, again, I go back to the rural community because I think that's where they've struggled the most is to be able to get access to care through telemedicine and through, uh, you know, uh, methods that they haven't had access to in the past is really the, the overall future for the, co- the country because that's, that's the portion of the country that just, if you're not in a big city, you don't have direct access to a provider, you don't have uh, technology uh, that's right up the street from you. You know, that that puts you at a greater risk for all the different chronic illnesses, but also, you know, any immediate issues that may come up. We're actually working with a client right now out of Appalachia who got a grant from the government to actually do telemedicine. And we're we're kind of Mm -hmm. doing all that patient engagement piece for him. But it is really interesting how this really is moving into telemedicine. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is I mean, even, you know, to see a psychologist over my computer, I mean, maybe that will enable a lot more people to have the courage and the confidence to actually engage with their physicians if it's it's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. I know that the access to care with regards to just availability of physicians in the rural communities is one of the things that's giving rise to telemedicine and being able to use computers like a go to meeting kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We'll plug go to meeting now. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to sit in front of a machine and do a video conference where I'm sitting face-to-face with a provider of whatever type to be able to get my care. It's not in person per se, but it's certainly better than no physician at all. Um, and so I would imagine that that's a real opportunity, you know, when we combine it with the technologies that we're talking about here to be able to drive care out into those remote regions. Because here in Georgia, when, since we're kind of focused on uh, Atlanta and surrounding, it would seem that that's a place that there's going to be some focus. Uh, I know there's several companies coming along to try to move telemedicine forward just to do just that, to get physician access to some of those places that really have very Absolutely. limited care. Connecting care teams as well. You know, it's not just the patient provider, but it's, a, you know, if you have multiple physicians at different levels of specialties uh, or you have, you know, something that's a little bit more of a serious condition, you know, communication in between those providers, especially if they're within different regions of the country, is a big part of the whole telemedicine initiative as well. And something to keep in mind, too, that that's, it's not just patient provider, it's patient multiple providers in some cases. Uh, And that's a really good point. So running a business always has its share of frustrations. Um, What are the roadblocks for your growth for like, who would you, what do you want? Or who do you want to meet? And um, what what do you need at this point? Uh, uh, Well, we need a lot of things. Uh, uh, One of them actually uh, access to talent. It's always been a challenge to access uh, software developers and, and data scientists. uh, you know, in our industry, there are going to be a lot of uh, big data initiatives. Uh, we, we want to predict the future. And now it's since uh, the current information is digitalized, we can utilize more data scientists to predict the future. Uh, we can look at patterns and so forth. And, and, and we have a lot of lack in, in that side. Um, 
also in uh, in you know uh, as far as uh, uh, so the the, the main, one of the main challenges is, is access to talent, but for companies in Georgia, we always uh, have issues access to capital. Uh, venture capital industry in Atlanta is thriving. Uh, one of the reasons uh, Azalea Health started in Valdosta, Georgia. Uh, we actually uh, have an office in Valosta, Macon, and now in Atlanta. Uh, and access to venture capital has been always uh, harder than, than the Silicon Valley arena. So we hope that with initiatives, government initiatives like Invest Georgia, which needed to be funded, um, I hope, soon, uh, it will enable companies, small companies like Azalea to have access capital where we can grow faster and, 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 and go internationally. Um, other issues that we uh, see that is on the horizon, uh, you know, we, we, we like adoption and we like uh, partnerships with different entities to make sure that we understand, uh, they understand our value proposition and we understand their pain so we can be able to be, be a good fit. And uh, uh, Health Connect South has, has provided a good venue for us to collaborate from healthcare institution, with healthcare institutions, uh, educational uh, institutions, different companies, uh, government, and being able to access all of that information in one venue has been always uh, valuable. Which is a nice plug for, thank you for Health Connect South. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Uh, You know, it's been awesome sitting down with the the folks from uh, Azalea Health, Justin Pierce and Baha Zidane, uh, the experts that have come to talk about how information technology and some solutions that uh, their company is focused on uh, will potentially help us reduce overall cost uh, in our healthcare spend as a nation. Um, hopefully be able to take that down, not just as a nation, but to the patient. I'm hopeful that uh, the patient themselves can see some reduction in cost uh, and outlay, as well as a greater health outcome uh, for themselves. And it sounds like based on some of the things that you've been talking about, that some of these solutions may actually help us do just that by having greater awareness of our own situation and being able to kind of... uh, manipulate that a little bit well and we you know we have questions that we want to ask you and we have kind of a you know an arc to the show but is there anything we haven't asked you that you wanted to be sure that you wanted to share uh we're excited to be uh, a company in this space uh i know this space of electronic health records is is uh, quite a bit crowded but with uh, with, with a lot of companies uh however we feel there is a lot of opportunities in that that we can provide a more user-friendly, a better, stable company. And uh, and we're excited to be in this space. Well, another question I had for you is, you know, Valdesta, Macon, not kind of on the beaten path, and you're, you know, you're looking for talent. So is that a challenge to get talent to well, move I, to Macon? No, actually, we, we have a... a I tell uh, some of our customers and the rest of the the audience sometimes the world best electronic health record is developed in Valdosta, Georgia, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the way we did it is with through uh, a strong collaboration with Valdosta State University, and uh, we have a good feeder system. Uh, we have a lot of Georgia Tech minds that they do still go to Valdosta State University, and we, we are lucky enough to recruit them. We have uh, 12 strong development team in Valdosta that they develop systems that compete with companies that have 500 developers. Uh, so we're, we're fortunate uh, 
we're utilizing rural sourcing, basically uh, doing the service, the revenue cycle management and, and the billing service in rural Georgia. And physicians feel that is a much easier and a better solution than outsourcing it overseas. And we feel that it provides a lower cost for us for operation, but a, a, a strong and a better um, labor pool. So That's we're right. Fortunate. You're helping the local economy along Absolutely. with that by giving people access to work that they can do and be a part of Absolutely. what you're doing. Yeah, because we're not just a software company. We provide services, you know, from billing services to preauthorization services. And there's, there's a bunch of different uh, you know, things that go into that interaction. And you want to work with somebody that you know you feel comfortable talking to and understands what you need, uh, so that's a big component of it. And also, South Georgia's uh, big hospitality uh, reflects <laughs> on our customer service. So um, we love our customers, and our customers love our. Uh, service. I'm very confident that that is true. Actually, and just to getting a feel for you two as you've uh, sat in with us today on. Health Connect South Radio. And uh, as we've been talking about through the course of this show, we know that recent changes in the law with uh, the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, it's changing requirements as it relates to how we document what we do. ICD-10 changes, for example, was ICD-9, and now those requirements are changing. Uh, obviously, I don't know if complicating the, the process is the right word, but at least making us pay greater attention to some specific details that we didn't before. Um, being able to achieve greater efficiency so an office can see more patients uh, and do so more efficiently are, are vital to the uh, you know health and growth of physician practices in the community. It sounds like uh, Azalea Health is offering some elegant solutions to be able to fit those needs from the electronic health record that we're working with to being able to effectively manage how we bill, um, eliminating some mistakes along the way. Uh, and then also kind of giving an outreach to uh, include the community in the process as uh, part of their labor force. So get to know more about Azalea Health. You can do that online at www.azaleahealth.com, all one word, A-Z-A-L-E-A health.com. If uh, you haven't done so already, then you make sure you link up with uh, Health Connect South Radio. We're on Twitter right now and soon to be on Facebook, HealthCon Radio. Make sure you link up with us there. That's the only charge for being here is that you link sure. up with us uh, we online so that we can make sure we share your information. Stay tuned with us. Come back and see us next Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock. We're going to be getting into some more very interesting topics that will help us move the health uh, level of health of our community forward here in the land of surrounding area and then expanding out from there. So Diana Keogh of Sherwick Media, thanks for taking time to sit in on the mic with me. Always great to be here. Krista Baruti producer extraordinaire. Thanks for letting me push your buttons. <laughs> <laughs> and for Baha Zidane and uh, Justin Pierce of Azalea Health, you're both very busy people. I want to say very, thanks for very very much for making the time and, and the effort to join us here this morning on the show. Thank you, Steve. It's been Thank great having us. to talk to you today. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Thank Thanks, everyone, for making us a part of your day. We'll see you all next week. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media Group. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sherwick.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.